Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jen Ruiz. Before we get to Jen, I want to give a few announcements. One is that our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, see some articles that I've written, some that guests have written. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to all their social media. And uh, speaking of social media, you can see links to our social media, which is, of course, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. I want to get those numbers up, folks, so if you can uh, join up, subscribe. None of this costs any money. You don't even have to look at it, but just you know, build up the numbers a little bit. That's always nice. So that's uh, Twitter and Instagram. There's Facebook. We're a Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. And on the website, you'll also find links to Stitcher and iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, I ask, as always, please give us a good rating because that boosts our presence there and helps even more people find the show. So if you can do that, I would appreciate it. If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of writing me, this next guest wrote me. Jen Ruiz, she is a travel writer and a blogger out of Naples, Florida. So we did this over Skype. Lawyer by day, travel writer the rest of the time. But since this recording, which was done back in March before I left my old place, Jen has not only been to New Zealand, where she posted great photos on Instagram. You should follow her on Instagram. Jen on a jet plane is her name on all her sites. But she also announced that she's leaving her job as a lawyer to concentrate full-time on travel writing. So we would have talked about that had that happened <laughs> before our interview, and it did not. So we talked about her balancing her life and work, and uh, she made a decision since the interview to uh, pursue her dream full-time of being a travel writer. And I got I to gotta give her uh, props for that. And she's come a long way in a little bit of time. Very motivated ambitious, and that's what you got to be if you want to get any kind of site to take off. And boy, don't I know it. But she contacted me out of the blue, and it was a pleasure to meet her. And like I said before, folks, if you think you have a good story to tell, or if maybe you're a uh, travel professional, or you just uh, been around a little bit and have some uh, fun things to say about travel, and you want to talk to me, and you think you'd be a good guest for the show, write me, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Or maybe you know somebody who'd be a great guest. You can recommend people. TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Just write me. And with all that being said, please enjoy my conversation with the lovely and charming Jen Ruiz. Jen Ruiz from Jet on a Jet Plane. I have to say that fast. Jen on a Jet Plane. There we go. Um, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thanks. You are in uh, Naples, Florida right now. You are not a native, though, right? Or are you? Correct. Where did you grow up? No. 
I grew up in Philadelphia and then I moved down here for college, made the mistake of moving away for law school back up to the cold and scurried <laughs> down as quickly as possible as soon as I finished uh, <laughs> law school. How does one go from law school to having a travel blog? Take me on that journey. So I always enjoyed writing. I actually was an English major in college until I ended up having to switch my major because I was very active in student government and a ton of other organizations. And the campus where the communications and English major would have had to be pursued was a little bit too far to coordinate with all my activities. So I thought, well, I can go into political science. This will be fun. Um, but I always had a passion for writing. And I think that that's part of what made me a strong lawyer. Uh, and at the end of the day, I found that I really love creative writing specifically, uh, not so much persuasive or argumentative writing, which is its own challenge and it's rewarding in its own right. But I enjoy telling stories. Uh, so that's how I started doing blogging specifically and then travel blogging when I started traveling myself as I was approaching my 30th birthday. What kind of law were you practicing? I'm still practicing currently and I do consumer law. Consumer law. Okay, what does that mean? So when people get ripped off, or do you represent the uh, corporate side of it? No, I thought I went into law school thinking, you know, I'll take the big bucks and represent the corporate guys. But uh, <laughs> I ended up, <laughs> I ended up going the complete opposite route. I actually work at a nonprofit. So I usually represent people that are the ones that are taken advantage of or aren't getting paid or are stuck in a bad contract. Um, so generally, um, I feel good about myself when I go home at the end of the day. Look at you fighting the good fight. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. So, okay. So now you're practicing. How much time does that leave for travel? Like, I don't know. What are the hours and what's your schedule like? When I first started practicing, I was doing social security law, which is private law, not so much nonprofit. So it's run in the way that a private firm is. You're there until late at night. There's not so many holidays. Um, just because it's Thanksgiving, for instance, doesn't necessarily mean that that's a day that you will automatically have off. Um, whereas when I made the switch to nonprofit law, I was able to know for sure that at the very least I was going to have those bank and court holidays that everybody's closed for here in the States, like Fourth of July or um, Memorial Day, things like that. Um, so that was the first step for me to be able to really start traveling more because I realized I have these days. It's not a whole lot of time. I still started with the average, you know, two weeks vacation time that most Americans get. But I realized that I could make the most out of long weekends and short trips if I could get creative and find flights that wouldn't break the budget. So when you decide you're going to start this blog, what was the... Uh theory behind it? Was there a, a certain message you wanted to get out there? I know you say you wanted to tell stories, but what kind of stories? So when I first started, I had actually just done lifestyle pieces, things like that. And I had a couple of pieces that did really well with online outlets that were for that, just for sharing thoughts like Thought Catalog or uh, Elite Daily that I had some pieces do well with them. But again, I wasn't really targeted. I hadn't really honed in as to what my passion was. And it wasn't until I started taking trips. Uh, my first big one was for my 28th birthday that I went to Barcelona. After that, um, I, that same year, I went to Machu Picchu um, on my own. I did a hiking trip in Rocky Mountain National Park. I went to Amsterdam. And all of those trips prepped me and primed me and made me realize that I really wanted the focus of the blog to be travel. Because as much as I like lifestyle pieces, uh, as much as it's you know fun to write about, I don't know, uh, 
10 ways to tell if he's into you or something like that. Um, I had a piece <laughs> that went, did really well with that title. People like to know. <laughs> well, I got to um, read that one. See, I got to know what kind of signs I'm putting out there. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think it's something. And those are the <laughs> the topics that universally people are interested in. So romance, things like that. Those are articles that do really well because everybody is curious. Uh, um, they'll click just to see. And, and like you said, uh, but I realized that travel specifically was something that appealed to me because it kind of came as a way to step aside from the pressure that I was feeling um, with regards to dating and being still single, approaching 30. Um, I think that many young professionals, men and women alike, put aside their personal you know, goals to pursue education, to pursue different business uh, enterprises, and just to do other things. And maybe that time sneaks up on them, and then they start to realize, oh no, like what's happening? And for me, that was the case. And I started to get really scared approaching 30 um, that maybe I had missed out on something along the way. I felt very accomplished professionally, but I still felt like personally I wanted to really do something for myself. Um, so I realized that traveling was a way that I could fulfill myself, to feel like I could see new experiences, meet new people, and really make the most out of my life to stop feeling like I was waiting for someone to show up and start making my life happen, which I think uh, that th that is something that's a little bit more female specific. I think we have a lot of pressure on us. Uh, mothers and grandmothers alike tell us, you know, when are we going to get grandbabies or things like that? Um, okay, this is, this is a problem I hear from uh, particularly uh, my Latina friends. Uh, they have, yes. I was just sitting with one, uh, uh, the other day who's also a travel writer and boy, is she getting pressure from her, uh, grandparents. Meanwhile, her grandparents have about 15 grandkids already, but they uh, still pressure her. Absolutely. So absolutely. What's your family background? I, funny, funnily enough, I was born in Puerto Rico, so Aha. my family's Hispanic. <laughs> so you should be a grandmother at your age. I should. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, it's, it comes from a good place. I understand. Uh, my grandmother grew up in completely different circumstances well, than sure. I did. Um, so for all, them, all our grandparents that, did. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, but, and I think that for her as well, having that island mentality, um, never having really traveled beyond the immediate Caribbean islands, right. um, it, that it's, it's rare and she doesn't really understand what would drive me to want to seek something different and want to seek something beyond what I've known. So there's definitely been uh, an adjustment in terms of trying to connect with my family and, and reconcile that. But uh, I'm very grateful that I have two very supportive parents and they have been nothing but go-getters on this. They've been pushing me every step of the way. And they're excited about every every new venture that I take, every new place that I'm in. They're talking to me at all hours of the night, depending on the time change. Um, so I'm very grateful to have them as part of the support system, even if I know that culturally there there is still that kind of hesitation towards what I'm doing. So when did you start the blog and what are some of the, give us just a few of the trips that you've taken, some of the highlights. So I started the blog, Jen on a Jet Plane, specifically at the end of 2016, right after I had come back from Amsterdam and I had realized that this was something that I wanted to do with a travel focus. Uh, previously, I had had other names and other site addresses, but I really became travel focused at the end of 2016, right before my uh, quote unquote year of adventure. 
um, my 29th birthday, the last, the beginning of my last year of my twenties was in January of 2017. So just a few months after I had switched the blog to travel focus. And that's part of the impetus and what made me want to go and do 12 trips in 12 months. I knew that that was ambitious starting out. Um, I knew that on a nonprofit salary, it was going to be challenging. <laughs> Um, so I immediately did my best to try to figure out as much as I could about saving money and earning more money. So I took on a second job teaching English online that I think I had looked at methods before of, you know, how to generate more money, but I didn't really devote myself to it. Uh, and when I finally found that opportunity, it just came around at the right time and really helped me have an extra cushion of an extra couple hundred dollars a month to help cover these expenses that I was taking um, and having. So I was able to travel. I started my first trip and my 29th birthday was spent at the Parthenon in Athens, Greece. Oh, it was and, just, well, I was just there in September, my first time, or October. Oh. September, yeah. Wonderful. You probably had nice weather, too, when oh, you went. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yes. I lucked out, thankfully, because the other days that I was there, it was a little bit chilly. I was there in January, but the day of my birthday, the sun came out. It was just gorgeous. Birds were singing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was <laughs> the magical moment. So it was phenomenal. And that was the first trip. The second trip was to Florence, Italy. I really, and I, I, I struggled with this one, Mike, because a lot of travel bloggers like to count countries. And so you'll hear them saying, I've been to 20 countries, 60 countries, 500 countries. There aren't even 500 countries, but you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, I was going to, were you going to other planets there? Or what <laughs> but that's what it feels like sometimes because there's such a race yeah, to I accumulate the numbers. Um, but and there's so a difference really, between, you know, visiting someplace and really seeing it. You know what I mean? Of course, of course. And so for me, that was part of the consideration and going back to Florence because I'd already visited Rome and Venice, the two other major cities in Italy. Mm -hmm. And I knew that Florence, I loved Italy. I knew that Florence was going to have all the things that I like to check off of my trip highlights, you know, delicious food, check, amazing museums and things that I can say, I saw that if I see it in a book, check, um, <laughs> you know, uh, really just fun atmosphere and people from all over the place, check. So that was I knew I wanted to go there and I didn't let that stop me because I was going to be returning to a country that was already counted on my list. Um, and I had a great experience there. And I'm so glad that I went in the off season because I have heard horror stories about the lines in Florence, like in July. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So. I've, I've pretty much given up going to, I try not to travel for pleasure in July and August on the, in the Northern hemisphere. It's just, uh, it's not worth it. And yeah. if, if you go, I mean, everything's super crowded and uh, they jack up the prices. Uh, as yeah. long as you don't have kids. I mean, when you have kids, you're forced to travel around those times because that's when they have time off from school. But other than right. that, if you don't I, I don't, I tell people if you can wait till September, which is the best month to travel anywhere, really in the northern hemisphere, mm -hmm. uh, wait. Wait till they go back to school and then go. Um, because it's certainly that's any cool. of the nice beaches in Europe or anything like that are just jammed in July and August. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's, it's not worth it. And Americans forget that the world is not really uh, air-conditioned like America <laughs> either. So um, right. it's really uncomfortable and hot. And uh, yes. don't do it. Don't do it if you can't. If, <laughs> nobody wants to be roaming around Paris in August or New York for that matter. It's not good. It's not good. So anyway, I'm I sorry agree I on interrupted both counts. you. 
I interrupted you. No so problem. <laughs> I did notice from your blog, though, you did mention um, you wanted to inspire uh, like female solo travel. And yes. um, I know there's a lot of a lot of women have fear when it comes to that. Uh, what do you tell them to get over it? So I think that one thing that helps empower me when I'm going somewhere is knowledge. So if I am in the know, if before I go, I have done my research, that helps put me at ease. So when I first started planning, I planned every little detail. I planned, you know, what route is going to take me where, um, what line of the subway I have to take, what time it's going to get there, how long it's going to take me to walk from the attraction to the subway, you know, everything. I booked all my tickets ahead of time. I had everything to the T so that I had the comfort in knowing that I knew where I was going. I wasn't going to be wandering around the street with my phone, lost, looking for directions, looking like prey. Um, I think having that confidence of just having my own already pre-outlined schedule helped me at first. I'm a little bit more lax about it now, um, but I think that when I was just starting to travel alone, going to a foreign country, I really used that as a crutch to help me feel more confident about being in a new surrounding. Uh, I think the next thing is to have apps that you know are going to work without internet because internet's not always going to be guaranteed. So if you download the particular section that you're going to be in to Google Maps, you can access it on the app even if you're not online. So you don't have to necessarily use your Apple Maps on your iPhone or anything like that. You can use Google Maps offline. Uh, Same thing with Google Translator if you want to download the specific language to your phone ahead of time. So there's things that you can have that you can know are available to you, even if worst case scenario, you're in the middle of nowhere, you have absolutely no signal, you still have some resources that you have there regardless. Um, And I think the last thing is having somebody that you keep aware of all of your of everything that you're doing. So somebody that you know is checking in on you every day, somebody that you know is going to be, you know, willing to look at your itinerary and aware of where you are. For me, that's my parents and my mom specifically, but maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's, you know, a boyfriend, whoever it is. Um, But you should have somebody that's checking in on you so that you feel like you're not alone, even if you're out there, so that somebody's looking out for you, somebody's checking in, somebody wants to know every day that you're making it through the day, what's going on, just to get updates. And I think that that's really important. I have a fellow comedian friend that uh, we both live alone, and I travel alone all the time. And every so often, just, uh, just we just text each other and just say, not dead. And that's it. That's exactly. how we check in. <laughs> if we haven't heard each other for a while, we're like, not dead. All right. Not dead. Got it. See? And that's, that's so crucial. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, are you, do you speak Spanish? That's got to help. I do. I do, and it has. So when I first started, that was another tool that I used. I went to countries either that I felt had Spanish as part of it. I was very lucky. Spanish is such a widely spoken language. I believe it's 23 Spanish-speaking nations in oh, the sure. world. Um, and Almost so I a would, whole other continent. Exactly. Exactly. So that was really, it was easy. And I could go places and speak Spanish as well and instantly be regarded in a different way, in a kind of warmer way, like if they were talking now to more of a local instead of a tourist. Um, I found this was so important with taxis. 
uh, <laughs> and making sure that you got the right rate on mm-hmm. taxis because yeah. the Uber's not available everywhere and they will upcharge you if they think that you're just the regular American tourist um, because everybody around the world thinks Americans are filthy rich. <laughs> right. So, um, so it's, it's tough to get past that. And I think speaking Spanish helped. It helped me feel like I wasn't getting taken advantage of so much. And it helped me have that instant connection to people just by being able to speak their native language. Um, Italy was another one where even if I didn't speak Italian, I spoke Spanish and they got the gist. Yeah. We, um, we called it Spitalian when I was there. Exactly. I went, I went with some <laughs> Spanish speakers and we, when we couldn't get by in Italian, we'd just start speaking Spanish. It works because I they're guess really they're so close. They're really they're similar. They're very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about um, the creepiness factor in terms of like, uh, you know, I've seen it happen. You've gone to some pretty, uh, from what I've seen of your photos, uh, mostly pretty well-known I mean, bigger cities, kind of off the beaten path. But even places like Cambodia, uh, you know, those, those places can be, they're pretty used to tourists and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But have you been um, to any kind of rougher areas or any kind of Muslim countries where they look at a solo woman like, ooh, you know, it can get a little scary sometimes? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I actually I had a trip to Morocco that was planned. I ended up through an error double booking. So that same weekend I had booked a error fare to Argentina for three hundred dollars. Oh. Uh, and. Wow. Good deal. <laughs> it was it was an amazing deal, right? Which is why I didn't even think or really double check that hard. I just clicked book and I didn't it didn't realize until it was too late that I had made the mistake. It was a dumb mistake to make, but that's what happens when you're eager to jump on a really good flight deal right. um, sometimes. So I then had obviously the the best problem in the world of having to decide if I wanted to go to Morocco or Argentina. Poor me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, what issues? So, I mean, and nobody really sympathized with my problem, but yeah. I was really... <laughs> we call these white man problems. <laughs> exactly. First um, world problems. First world, yes. <laughs> so, but it was really, it was a tough decision for me. But part of, and I'll have to be honest, part of what swayed me, two things swayed me more, and I ended up going to Argentina, Uh, The first was that I was able to get my flight to Morocco refunded almost uh, in full. I had booked it in two parts. So the first was a flight to Madrid and then the connection from Madrid uh, to Morocco on Ryanair. So I got the connection to Madrid for about 300, the Madrid flight round trip for about 300 and the connection for about 80. Uh, The connection I couldn't get refunded, but the Madrid flight I could because there was a change in itinerary. Right. So where are you where are you staying when you go to these places? And so Morocco, you still haven't been to say the Middle East or um, any place like that, like a majority Muslim country or the, yeah, so that was that the one thing that influenced me was the being able to get the flight refunded, but the other thing was also the fact that I knew Morocco was going to be a tougher trip for me. And I know that that sounds a little bit like a cop out, and I actually had somebody that I met in France in July that was from Morocco, that was willing to meet me in Morocco and help me get around the country. And even with that, I was still very nervous as a female because I thought, and I hate, I'm just going to admit very candidly, I just thought to myself, well, what happens if this person decides that they don't want to necessarily, you know, hang out with me anymore on my trip. And then I'm stuck by myself in Morocco, not, not knowing anybody, not knowing the language as a female, that's not going to have equal say or necessarily equal rights to go and rent a hotel like right at the last minute i've just heard so many horror stories Mm -hmm. um i've 
I know a female blogger that got a rock thrown at the back of her head, you know, so there's so many, there was yeah. that, that fear. And I hate to say that because for me, I, I like to think that I'm above it, but I'm not at the end of the day. I think I still experience the same fears and hesitations that we all do as humans. And I, I would love to go to Morocco one day and be shown to be completely wrong and to have my fears be completely unfounded. But when it came time to make the choice between going to a place where I spoke the language and that I knew was going to be reasonably safe, other as opposed to a place where maybe I wouldn't have as much say or safety as a female and I didn't speak the language and was further away, um, I made the choice to go to Argentina. And it was an interesting choice. Um, I don't know if in retrospect I would make the same choice again. I actually had an incident in Argentina uh, of all, you know, after everything that happened, that came oh, up with my ma- decision. In Buenos Aires? <laughs> yes. I, unfortunately, I had an incident with an Uber driver there. Um, never sit in the front seat uh, because apparently some Uber drivers think they can try to get handsy. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that was a very unfortunate lesson that I learned. I was able to minimize any kind of damage or impact, thankfully, and make it safely to the airport without anything too bad happening. Mm. Um, but but I remember thinking to myself, like, look at you, Jen, like you, you're scurrying away from Morocco because you're scared that it's going to happen. And here you are in Argentina and like the same thing happens. So I really think at the end of the day, like people are going to be people no matter where you are. Well, and there's going to be yeah. good and bad people everywhere. Well, I think about that as someone who, who's traveled solo so often around the world. I mean, I, I do see and I meet so many uh, solo female travelers, but I, I think of the comfort zone that I you know, take for granted and the privileges I have of just, you know, at the end of the night, you know, say I want to go get a drink somewhere. I I don't feel Mm -hmm. real qualms about just going at the end of the bar with a book and just sitting there and ordering a drink and reading. And no one bothers me. Whereas uh, very few women can do that. So in a lot of countries, you know, you're going to get hassled. There's going to be some drunken idiot who's going to come over and start talking to you. Um, and if you turn him down, he calls you a whore and walks away. You know what I mean? And, and it's just like, boy, I really take for that for granted. Uh, you really got to have your guard up all the time so much. And I don't think it's something exactly. men, men don't really get it after a while. But when you see it happen, you're like, oh, yeah, you just, you just can't do that, can you? Exactly. It's such a subtle balance that you have to strike because you're alone. So it's not that I want to sit at home and not even go out and experience those settings at night. And I do. But let's say that that drunken asshole comes over. Um, I'm going to have to find a way to dismiss him in a way that he's not angry because I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know if they'll be waiting for me outside or something like that. So I have to find a way to make these drunken assholes seem think that I am playfully, you know, still engaging, but at the same time, not engaging to the point where they have a shot. I mean, it's such a chore. (laughs) That's true in America, too. I mean, you got to do that and, you know. Around here. It's true. But we work on a strict buddy system around here usually. When you're traveling, it's rare to see, or when you're out, it's rare to have girls go out, you know, just on their own. Usually you go out with a group of girls or yes. girlfriends or yeah. a group of friends. Um, so without that buffer there to help you with that, it's, it's really a delicate thing that you have to strike on your own. And, and I'm careful as well, too, about my appearances, how I look. Um, I... I I had met somebody in Thailand and I was going out to meet that person and I was going to meet them at the bar that night. 
And I had put on, I had dressed up and I was very conscious as I was walking there that I had dressed up more so than I normally would. So I was attracting more attention than I felt comfortable with. And that was something that I was very nervous of as I was waiting to meet that person to the point where if like I was going to say 10 minutes and, and I'm out of here if I, this mm-hmm. person does not show up um, because it was just too much. It's not, I don't feel comfortable looking that um, you know, put together or extravagant or anything like that. I don't wear jewelry when I'm traveling. I just don't like to call that unnecessary attention to myself. I think as a solo traveler, you do that already. Do people assume just on looks that you're uh, American or do they think, well, maybe you're Spanish, maybe you're, you know, uh, South American or, I mean, you can, you're very castable from what I've seen in the photos. You know, that's a Hollywood term. <laughs> you can play a lot of Thank different, you. You, you, you can play a lot of ranges. You know what I mean? Yes, so and what, I use that pe- to my advantage. Yeah, do people speak, <laughs> they, they walk up to you and immediately speak English, or do they speak Spanish? Or Most people will think I speak uh, English, but when I speak Spanish in these countries, and I just start by speaking Spanish, they will assume that I'm not from America. So they will, you and I guess over Rican? the years, no, and my mother will be so sad to hear this, but I think over the years <laughs> I've... <laughs> you sound Mexican? <laughs> Uh, not Mexican. I don't think I've hung out with enough of them yet because I'm not necessarily in the West Coast. Oh, yeah. Come out so, to California. We'll, uh, we'll cure you of that. Exactly. I think it's more the accent. I picked up a Cuban accent from being oh, so Miami. close to Miami. Yeah. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> and uh, I get Colombian from time to time as well. <laughs> so I get a lot of different accents. But every time I do, I'm always flattered when they volunteer one of those other accents because it means that they think that I'm a native speaker in some sense. So I bet at this point, if you combine all the, the Cuban, South American and, you know, island accents, we'll just call that a Florida accent. Pretty you know, much. Pretty much <laughs> that's going to be a new category. It'd just be, oh, she, she's got a Florida accent. Definitely. There's a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what when you say you want to tell stories, what are some stories that you want to tell in the future? What are you looking to tell if you have a dream story to tell? Well, I would love to actually put together some sort of travel memoir um, when it comes to the travel writing sphere. And I've been published in uh, different places, but more travel reference. I'd love to make a transition towards travel narratives. Uh, I think that in that regard, there's very few females that have actually made a name for themselves. Uh, most people off the top of their heads just think of Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed, and mm-hmm. that's where the list ends. Uh, whereas they can think of tons of other male counterparts. So I think that that would be a goal of mine and hopefully not too long term, because before all of this started, I used to look at goals like uh, one day uh, if I get there, when I earn it, you know, I, I, years from now. And now I started to think that why not just start working towards that now? Why put it off until you feel like you've earned it, you've fought your whole life and now's the time for it, you know, and that was always the way I looked at a memoir. Like I can only write one when I'm 80 and I've lived a life worth living and then people will care right. about what I have to say. Um, and well, I think well, I, I have enough. Yeah. Well, we have this idea that we think that, you know, we need a lot more hardships to tell. The, you know what I mean? You got to go through exactly. rough patches to uh, have to write it. Exactly. And so I, and that was always a, a pause of mine. But I recently published my first book, nonfiction, just to get my feet wet in the publishing sphere and see what it's like. And I'm going to do a few more like that because I think at the end of the day, people want to know how to do certain things like travel for free or travel while employed full time. Those are the questions I get primarily. But once I get that out there, I'd love to make the transition to telling stories, to just different tales. I mean, uh, from 
I, I met a guy in Athens and then I went back to the Greek islands a few months later, I took three planes and two ferries to go see this guy to find out that he was 10 years older than what he initially told me. (laughs) So, I mean, I have so many stories. (laughs) So that was fun. When you say 10 um, years older, like how, what was he like 60? No, like you said, you were 39 to put yourself within the reach of my decade. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so, and that's just one of so many stories that I have, Mike. I mean, if you only knew. Oh, I I can imagine. There's the book right there. Well, I think, first of all, let me defend, uh, you know, the older generation. Second of all, I don't defend lying about it, but. There's something to be exactly. said for sometimes for an older older uh, gentleman. Definitely. The age was not the problem. It was the fact that you had duped me for the last six months that we've six been communicating. Months. <laughs> yeah, I was in Athens in January. I didn't go back down till end of May. You didn't so, see him in I Athens mean, then? I had met him in Athens, and then I had agreed to come back at the end of May because we had kept communicating. Oh, but you didn't know in Athens how old he was? He told me he was 39. Yeah, but you have eyes. I mean, he looked, he's very, he does look very young, <laughs> to be fair. So apparently, um, apparently the personality wasn't enough to uh, see past that. Um, yes, no, because I mean, he wore Converse shoes. I mean, Oh, what? well, yeah, if he wears high tops, well then, God, you know, then he must be younger. That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I hate everything about this hipster dude. I hate it. I hate him already. <laughs> Greeks. He, he Don't trust bar. those Greeks. I mean, <laughs> he wore a thong. What did you say? He owned a bar, so oh, he okay. just naturally was, had a younger feel. He was feel, just a cool dude. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Other people that I showed the picture to were not suspicious at first, so it's not like I'm just blind. <laughs> that's a know, filter. Maybe that's a good filter. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and you know, it was. A, it was. Do I regret going? No. I have a great story to tell. I got to see this really random island in the middle of the Greek island. Which one? Because I, I was just there in September, so I went to five different ones. So which ones did you go to? Which one? Well, I flew into Santorini. That's where I flew into. Oh, good. It's beautiful. Yeah. But it's, again, that's, <laughs> um, one, that's like all couples. It was yes. like me, and I was solo, so it was like me and a bunch of honeymooners walking around. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that I had the same experience. That's why I didn't stay there for too long. <laughs> and it's expensive um, <laughs> compared to the other ones. It's expensive. It is. It is. It's the tourist island, you know, yeah, but it's yeah, the one sure. that people want to cross off. You got to go. You got to go once. Exactly. Um, so I flew into there, but then I took the ferry to Paros. Oh, I went there. Oh, excellent. And then where the guy was, was a little island called Antiparos. Okay. Antiparos. Anti, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, took, um, I took the uh, the ferry there. I spent a day there. So I went oh, there. wonderful. I just went there for a little day trip and walked around and, and then uh, went back. But then I went to Paros, Naxos, and Eos, and then Mykonos, and then to Athens. So, yeah, I did the whole kind of ferry thing. So I might that have seen fantastic. it. What, what month were you there? I was there May of last year, 2017. Okay, yeah, I was just there in September, so... We just miss each other. Oh, man. Well, yeah. there's a lot more islands I would to have go. at least told the truth about my age. <laughs> I'm 75. See? There you go. And then I'd really? say, no. <laughs> if I said that, you'd be like, boy, you look great for 75. Thank you. Thank you very much. Definitely. Yeah. Um, no, so mean, how long were you there? It was for... That was the other thing. I was only there for 48 hours on... Actually, in... 
Antiparos. And then when I was there, I had planned this trip for six months. And then within those 48 hours, you want to tell me that at the last minute you had three baby showers pop up and that you got to go to three baby showers in the 48 hours that I'm there. So Wait a minute. He, <laughs> he had to go to three baby? What? Yeah. So apparently. While you're there, you only have 48 hours. Correct. And he says that out of nowhere, these like three events, baby showers, wedding showers, I don't know, some kind of shower. He had three of them that he had to go to that were non-negotiable. He could not cancel. I could not go to. So he just disappeared. And he's like, it's gonna, each one's going to take like no more than an hour. And he was gone for like three hours. <laughs> I thought maybe he just needed a date for these things and he didn't even take you. No? No. Wow. Okay. I got red flags all over this guy. That's what I'm saying. And so that was just one of the many stories. That was one of the few trips where I actually included a guy in the equation um, because I'm, generally these things don't happen yeah. when I'm by myself. I don't have these issues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it, that's what I mean with regards to stories. And I have so many of them to tell, and I would love to break into that one day. Well, tell, uh, give us the name of your book that you already did and where can people get it? It's called The Affordable Flight Guide. And it is available on Amazon. It's actually the number one new release across several categories and made the number one bestseller in air travel specifically, that category specifically. Um, so it's doing very well. I'm very happy to see the reception that it's gotten. And if people want to get some bonus content for free as well, they can go to my website, jenonajetplane.com slash flight guide. And there they can get all kinds of freebies, um, free downloads, free videos, and just kind of learn more about the affordable flight process. So it's about affordable flights. And is it um, travel hacking as well? I mean, I've talked to a lot of travel hackers on here, like point yes. gathering and miles and all that. I have a chapter on there about travel hacking. Um, but I also emphasize that it's not necessary to have a travel credit card if you want to use points and miles to actually uh, get discounted or free flights. Because I know so many people get weary about playing the credit game. So mm -hmm. I talk about credit cards and I definitely endorse them as a way to exponentially increase your miles and get bulk sign up miles because that's been a great resource for me to get to places that are never cheap. That's how I'm getting to New Zealand for 38 bucks. Um, 38 bucks? Miles. 38 bucks. Which, which Air New Zealand? <laughs> um, I, yes, it's through Air New Zealand. Yeah. But I, I believe that, um, so I just got some airline miles. I think they're partners with American Airlines. And yeah. so I was able to get, I was able to get it through American, with my American card and the bulk sign up miles I got with them. Right. And then when I'm flying going? back from, um, I'm actually leaving very soon at the end of March. I'll be going there for nine days over the Good Terrific. Friday, Easter weekend. Um, uh, the uh, South Island? I was only, I've, I've been in the South Island a couple times, but I haven't really done much of the North Island. So I'm going to be doing the North Island, and I'm getting serious FOMO about missing out on the South Island. Um, so I'm going to have to go back. Oh, yeah, I'm, totally. <laughs> uh, but I just, I don't have enough time, and I want to do justice to the North Island. I'm flying into Auckland, and already it's going to be so much time flying that I don't want to spend more time flying to the South Island. So I'm going to do the Hobbit set for oh, Lord right. of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Waitomo. Mm-hmm. Auckland, Auckland for sure. That's where I'm flying into. Mm -hmm. I've been debating about whether or not I want to do the Skywalk around the tower that they have. I don't oh, know how right. adventurous I'll be feeling right after landing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you're going. It's a big time change. I mean, you're losing a whole day going there. 
you'll get it back yes. coming back, but you are losing it. It's a hell of a flight. Definitely. I, I'm, we have breaks, I believe, either in Dallas or L.A. on the way over. I don't recall immediately which one. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it's it's a killer flight, definitely. Um, so hopefully it all goes well. I'm going to see some glowworm caves while I'm there, go to take some natural mud baths. I think they have a lot of natural baths in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, oh, it's beautiful. So I, I think it'll be great. It's one of the most physically beautiful uh, or na- naturally beautiful places I've ever been. It's really, it's really amazing. You'll That's what it. they say. You'll love it. Yeah, and really safe too. They said they have like no snakes or you know crazy animals that are going to come <laughs> kill you if you're hiking. Yeah, just so. sheep. A lot of sheep. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you want to buy wool or anything, that's really yeah. And they love outdoorsy stuff. I don't know how like uh, active you are in terms of like hikes and camping and stuff like that, but they're all about the outdoors. And why wouldn't they be? Because it's like amazing nature. So you're gonna love right. It. I. I can't wait. I definitely hope to do some hiking while I'm there. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think. Uh, so you have the book out. And it did, uh, it's doing well. Congratulations. Thank you so much. How do you, like, there's so many travel books out there. How do you, how do you get it out there? And how does it take off on the bestseller list? By doing fabulous podcasts like this? Is that, that how it's done? Or? Of course. How do you publicize, um, <laughs> how do you publicize a book? Books are hard to make um, people read and buy. I agree. And I just want to clarify, it's best-selling in a category, not like bestseller of the Amazon store overall, which is a goal of mine for one day. But I just want to, I want to earn that right when I'm yeah, there. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there's Oprah and you. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's, so I think that it started off, I've essentially been marketing this book since I started taking my trip in the year of adventure. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short. And I've been listening and trying to learn as much as I could about self-publishing because I did this self-publish too. I didn't want to necessarily go through the process of having to pitch different publishing companies. And yeah, I mean, it takes years even when you're granted a contract before it actually goes to print. Um, four or five years sometimes. And I just didn't want to wait that long. I wanted to get something out there now and and start and and see and test the waters. So by when I was sharing stories with people throughout the year, and I would share stories periodically, I would find that more often than not, uh, people would ask me, they wanted to know how they could replicate it themselves. Because at the end of the day, uh, people people are interested. They want to hear you speak. They want to listen to your content because it provides value for them. And so they want to know how they can travel, too. Uh, I had a post in the Girls Love Travel Facebook group, which is a huge group. Uh, I think it has like uh, over 500,000 members at this point um, from all over the world. And I had a post go viral on there with 7,000 likes and hundreds of comments. And it was a very long post where I talked about how I had gone from like Tinder to traveling and how I had taken back my life with all of these trips. And after all of that, all those paragraphs at the end of the day, Uh, The majority of the comments on there, they were good and people were inspired. But the first visceral reactions that people had were like, tell me about that $16 flight to Ecuador. How? You know, like, (laughs) so that's what people wanted to know. They wanted to know how I could find all these flights. And without fail, that was where the interest was. So when I started to think about what I want to write, as much as I love travel writing and I knew I wanted to do, you know, stories about this year, I wanted to provide content that was going to bring value to my readers. And at the end of the day, that's the one thing that I think still perplexes a lot of people for whatever reason. 
Um, there are cheap flights out there and there's so many ways to find them, but people are still paying $800, $1,000 for round trip flights places. Um, and that's crazy to me. So aside from, <laughs> um, aside from mileage hoarding, uh, how do you get the cheap flights? I mean, the, do you recommend apps or what, what is your secret aside from mileage? Definitely. So the first thing I would do is I would get the flights to come to you because it's, just better than if you're out there looking for flights, you know, letting the airlines know that you're looking for them and that the flights are in demand. It's better to have them come to you. So I sign up for flight alerts and I get alerts through Scott's cheap flights. Um, he is a, he does an email subscription list. I started off with a free list with them, with him. But then after a few weeks, I just decided, let me try to upgrade to the premium list and see if it, brings me any more value. He'll just send out alerts. So whenever there's a flight sale, any kind of error, any kind of deal that he finds, I feel like he just has, it used to be him, but now it's grown to the point where he has people working for him that are just on there 24 seven. I think searching Google flights, searching Mamondo, searching all of these different search engines to find the best deals. And the reason why I think that's so key is because you get it right away. And for me, the email notification system has been particularly useful because I don't have to go to the Facebook feed to find what the deal is. You know, I don't have to wait to have the newsletter come out. I can get it right away that minute before everybody else starts buying the sale. I used to get, I found him initially through Condé Nast Traveler that I get their email list. And I like it. They have a lot of good travel content. Um, and they'll sometimes have on there like $400 flight to Paris or something like that. And I saw that they were citing to Scott a lot. So I just thought to myself, you know, this newsletter came out a day and a half after the Scott guy found the deal. Like now the prices have gone up. It's not the same. So I just signed up for his list and it's been great. I feel like every day I have something. If I were to look in my inbox right now, I think I just saw something like Costa Rica in the hundreds to $200. Um, like every single day I have at least five different deals in my inbox that are applicable to me that I can use to go to all different places. So that has changed my traveling radically in terms of opening my mind to different destinations. So I may not have wanted to go somewhere, but if I get an email that there's an alert that, that someplace is going there for cheap um, or some airline is going there for cheap, then I'll, I'll consider it. I'll go somewhere else that I may not have thought of originally. And I, I'm more flexible with that. And so instead of being like, I know that I only want to travel to Rome the second week of July, and now I expect to find a $300 flight. Now I'm like, well, let's see what comes up. And maybe I can take an extra day off and make a long weekend out of it and do an impromptu trip. And it doesn't even have to be impromptu because you can get alerts months out. The Madrid trip that I had booked and double booked with Argentina, I had forgotten it because I had booked Madrid back in like February because it just came up. There was a sale with Air Europa that November. So it was months down the road, but I just found a deal and I thought, hey, why not? It falls on Veterans Day weekend. I have three days. I can fly to Spain for 300 bucks. Let's go. Mm -hmm. So was, Scott's, was it Scott's travel list? What is it again? His name is Scott Keys and the website is Scott's Cheap Flights. Scott's Cheap Flights. All right. I have to yes. check it out. Yes. So he's excellent. But there's so many site alert programs. So the whole first chapter of my book or the first chapter and subsection is dedicated just to site alerts. There's over a dozen of them listed yeah. on there. I, I think um, I'm on deal alert, maybe. Is that one? Or cheap flight yeah. or something? Or? Yeah, there's fly for free. Them, yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
there's tons of them. And so I list them all. You can even see that on the free preview on Amazon. Uh, but I think that's the best way to start is just by having the deals come to you. But I particularly like Scott. I think his email notifications are excellent and he's usually pretty on point in terms of delivering deals in a timely manner that not everybody else will pick up on. Well, go back to this uh, Tinder to travel thing. You kind of glossed over that. But mm-hmm. so what does that mean? You were like traveling through Tinder or were you no. like sick of <laughs> Tinder? Is that what it is? I've never done it. Yeah. I, I should disclose that I've never done it, but I've heard the uh, horror stories about Right. It. Consider yourself lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that when you get to that point, all of my friends were doing, that were still single at that point, all of my peers were on some kind of online dating, either Tinder or Plenty of Fish or whatever any of these apps were. So I really felt pressure. Like if I'm going to meet someone, there's really absolutely no way to do it organically now in this day and age. You have oh, to do it over now. an app. It was impossible. And I really, because we even did a challenge. We were like, well, maybe we're just not going to the right places, right? Because they have so many articles. Like, you just have to go to the library or, like, go hang out at the gym. <laughs> a <and> library? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't You know. can meet a nice 75-year-old person in the library. So, like, I've done all that. I've strolled through grocery store aisles. Nobody's introduced <laughs> themselves. Like, I mean, like, so. Strolled through grocery store. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, that's great. You're supposed to just meet them randomly, but it just doesn't feel like that's a viable option. It, it's just so easy to feel like the only way that you can meet someone nowadays no. is if you sign up for one of these apps. I have nothing so, against them. I mean, I know that, I mean, it's, it's more proactive than, again, like you said, strolling around and hoping to meet somebody or hanging out in a bar and trying to meet people. I mean, I, I, have, I have nothing against them uh, for what they are, but uh, something like Tinder just seems like it, it's designed just for quick you know, hookups rather than if you're looking for a relationship, right? Definitely. Um, But then also you want to think about the kind of net that you're casting because then let's say you want to go on a dating app that's more like that people know is serious, like eHarmony. You're only going to get like really weird guy. No offense to anybody on here who's listening (laughs) who's on eHarmony. But like like, I have a best friend who got married from eHarmony. Like it works. Oh, I have a, a couple I know that that's how they met. Yeah, so I have, I'm not knocking it at all, but for the most part, you're getting a different kind of, you're not getting the generic pool of men that are out there available because the average guy that you meet isn't going to be like, yes, where do I sign up for that uh, girlfriend to fiance to wife plan? You know, like nobody does that. <laughs> so, like, so most of them are really just want to put them, if they're going to do a profile, they're going to do it somewhere where it's casual. And may, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not open to something else, but I feel like that's the same as you would get if you met someone out there in a regular setting. It's going to be very rare to have somebody that comes in with that mindset of just let's go straight to marriage. And so for me, it was a matter of casting a wider net and getting a, you know, just the bulk audience of what's out there versus just that very specified subgroup. And that's why I gave in and joined Tinder. But man, was it a miserable couple of months on <laughs> Tinder. So, like, I mean, so did, it was just so bad. Did that <laughs> shove you toward travel more? Because I mean, uh, Experts will say that the best way to meet somebody is to do what you're interested in, and you'll find people who are also interested in the same things you are. So travel is one of those things. I've met a lot of people through uh, travel. When I, when I, even by doing the podcast, uh, I started, I just met a whole new group of friends through that, and they have friends. You know what I mean? So it's just, even if it was, I don't know, marathon running or something, you'd meet a group, you'd meet people through that. It's just getting out. 
in a way, really, isn't it? It is. And I mean, I'm not saying I haven't met people. I met a 49-year-old Greek man. So. <laughs> Who said he was uh, 39. <laughs> See, there you go. Uh, it's working already. Uh, exactly. He, while he leaves you behind and goes to uh, baby showers. And first exactly. of all, what ca- is it a Greek thing for a guy to go to a baby shower solo? I, I mean, I, I, I would never in a million years. I don't know why. It just seems the most boring day. I, you know, it's not for men. It really isn't. Definitely. I naturally expected that that conversation was leading to like, oh, you're going to have to accompany me to baby showers. I'm so sorry. Not like, oh, hey, you're going to be stranded while I go to baby showers. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. What can you do? Yeah. Um, So, yes. So, definitely. You know how to pick them, Ruiz. You know how to pick them. And that was and that was what was getting me right because <laughs> at the end of the day, like all these people, I have no problem getting people to show interest in my profile. I think at the end of the day, I look good on paper. I have a lot of things that people would be looking <laughs> right. for necessarily. Um, and so when people would meet me and they would go on these first dates, they'd be like, "Well, so what's wrong with you that you're still single, right?" Because and See, that would be a question that I would get asked all the time. It's not for everyone. I agree, and and, and that's it, okay. Um, Exactly. And so that's when I realized that just instead of putting all that time into getting home and trying to go through profiles and trying to find, you know, Mr. Right on on any one of these apps that I should just yeah go live your life. Exactly. That same amount of time, the hours that I spent on Tinder, I devoted to planning stuff, to finding cheap flights, writing a book, how to do this. Exactly. Writing. I mean, I have so many things. My life has become completely different than it was when I first started this. And that's what I encourage and and tell other women that it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to follow this certain path. There isn't just one solution. You can have a life that's worth living, even if it's not something that looks like the way people think it should. And maybe it comes out even better. And maybe it comes out leading you to a different opportunity that works out better for you in the long run. Um, And so I just think that people need to step past the fear and, and take that leap. I mean, it definitely wasn't easy for me announcing that I was going to take a trip every month, you know, having to tell my coworkers and my boss that I'm traveling. People resent you when you travel a little bit, like yeah. especially coworkers. Um, so it's one thing, like if I would be like, if I had a broken leg or something, nobody would think twice. But if I am out because I am traveling the world and having fun, like then it's a, then it's a problem. Oh, sure. Um, so yeah, but people, that's about you know, them. That's about them, more or less. You know, they're angry that they can't do it or won't do it or don't have the, you know, wherewithal to, to do it. Or, you know, some people don't have the money, but um, other people just don't have the will or don't have the guts, honestly. Right. And it's a lot of work. It's been a lot of work, but it was something that yeah, I really... it's not easy. So what is all this independent, uh, when you give that speech of, <laughs> what, is your, what does your grandmother think of it? Oh, my goodness. My grandmother, (laughs) (laughs) she just doesn't get it. She's very different planes. Um, But but she loves me. She's very I mean, she's she does tell my mother all the time. Like, so when is this going to stop? Like, really? Um, Mm. So when is she just going to come home and just not travel anymore? My mom's like, I don't know if it's ever going to stop. I think Jen's always going to keep traveling. And I and I hope that that's the case. I want maybe not necessarily a trip a month, but I don't ever want to stop traveling because I think there's so many places to discover and discover again and go back to twice, um, three times, that I'd I'd love to just always have that be a part of my life. I just think it's important to reset and take you away from that daily bubble and your daily problems that you think you can't see beyond until you step into a whole new surrounding. 
Have you been back to Puerto Rico since the hurricane? Not since the hurricane. I was actually just there right before the hurricane. Um, I was there at the end of August, and I was very saddened to hear about everything that happened. But my parents just finished buying a property there because they want to retire there. Um, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to spend some time there since now I have a place to go. Right. <laughs> but they said, uh, because I was just there because I'd been working on a number of cruise ships lately and we stop in San Juan. But old San Juan is still, I mean, it's in decent shape and it's back on its feet. But I heard that it's, it, you see it when you go out into the countryside and go to the smaller places. Is that what you're hearing? Or is, is there a place near San Juan or is it out in the country? Yes. They're, well, they're, by, they're in Palmas del Mar. Um, it's a little bit out. And so they are in an established community. And the community itself has power that was restored. But when they were visiting just a few weeks back in February to close on the house, um, they had actually had a power outage then at that time, even in their community. Yeah. And they and when they ventured out to go to stores and things like that, they said it was just abysmal. It was really, really bad. Wow. Um, unfortunately, I think it's just a matter of um, they think I think the winding roads and things like that, where it's harder for trucks to set up and really have work on the lines um, in the more rural places makes it difficult to restore power. Yeah. Well, do you see yourself staying in uh, Florida or do you, did you want to go somewhere else or do you see yourself living abroad or what's the future look like? I would love to live abroad. Definitely. I've been considering doing that for a little bit, um, maybe just traveling for a year or living abroad. Um, I have friends that have a property in Portugal and I was considering looking at Lisbon. Ooh, uh, I love I Lisbon. <laughs> everybody does they say it's like the san francisco of europe there's so many yeah. digital nomads there and the algarve um, i was just there in uh, september and it's beautiful ah oh, you're so lucky a lot of uh, a <laughs> lot, lot of drunken brits though but other than that you know beautiful ah, that's okay <laughs> yeah you're gonna find that in every beach in europe though right right they they definitely like to travel yeah um so i would i would love to go there for a little bit i would I'm not necessarily tied to Florida, but wherever I go, I know that I'd like for it to be warm. I <laughs> will not make the mistake of returning to the cold again. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. So um, how do you think all these places that you've been and, and all the travel that, you, travel that you've done has changed you as a person and maybe how you look at your life and America and everywhere else and other people? Well, I think first I look at my life not as something that has to be done by a particular plan, which is weird for me, right? Because I've always been a planner. I told you about when I first started, how crazy I was about like every line, like what time the line's going to depart, <laughs> yeah. like everything. Um, like really, really nuts. And that's just always been me and my personality. Uh, I mean, I was president of my elementary school. Uh, I was a fourth grader and I beat a fifth grader in the race. So oh, I've good always for you. been, <laughs> thank you. I won with gumballs because they were like the illicit food that you weren't really allowed uh -huh. to have in school. But I gave them out in the playground, and I got some street cred. So that was like <laughs> super pack money before you know, super packs. Exactly. <laughs> you bought that election. It was crooked. Hey, it was crooked. I bought it, it was... fair and square. All right. <laughs> crooked Jen. Hashtag crooked Jen. <laughs> no, gum gumball. Gumball Jen. That's. <laughs> Um, but so that's always been me. And so I always, I've had a plan. I've had a, a next stage. And for me now reaching 30 to think that 
I'm not 100% sure what the five-year plan is. I don't know if it's going to be devote myself to writing full-time or opening my own nonprofit organization or I don't know. I really don't. Um, opening my own travel, anything. I mean, I just, I'm not sure. And for the first time ever, I've gotten to the point where I don't know. And it's kind of, it's, it's scary, but it's exciting because I don't feel constricted. I don't feel like I have to meet certain standards. I mean, when I, when I set my eyes on law, I thought that I wanted to become a prosecutor and then run for office and then just essentially take over the world, that kind of thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. My mom says I have like a There's pinky still time. brain complex. There's still time. <laughs> there is, there is. Um, but I think when I realized that I, I wasn't necessarily going to go that route, it was scary because I've always had that comfort in knowing that there's something coming up. And it it's weird, but it's in a good way to know that the future is unknown. It's not going to be dictated by my plans. It can change and it can change in a good way. So it's made me more open to life's curves, curveballs and less regimented about how, the demands that I place on myself and the expectations that I have of myself. So maybe I have a kid at 35. Maybe I don't have a kid at all. Maybe I end up adopting a maybe kid. Maybe I have eight maybe of I them. End up, you eight, know, exactly. Ocho Ninos. <laughs> Exactly. It's <laughs> on my own little team. Yes. <laughs> you and your grandmother in Puerto Rico raising eight children. That sounds terrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, <laughs> but like you, a nightmare. <laughs> See, but, uh, you know, like they said, it was the old say, God, God has a way of laughing at your plans. You never exactly. know. You just never know. You're on a good path, you know, and you'll find it and it changes all the time. And, you know, if we check back in later down the road, it, I'm sure it'll be completely different not completely but it'll go places that you don't think it'll go and that's okay exactly exactly and that's something i'm coming to terms with and that travel has helped me realize so it's just been a wonderful journey and i hope that it continues well that's great well thanks for uh reaching out to me and thanks for talking to me thank you so much mike it's been really fun sure and that's jen on a jet you can go there and you can also go to travel tales podcast and next to your story you'll send me links and all that stuff, and then people can click to uh, all your sites and follow you on your Jen on a Jet Plane on Instagram as well, right? Yes. And uh, I saw your Instagram account, and uh, it's you have some great, great stuff on there, great photos. Thank you. I work really hard. I swung myself off a swing in Ecuador into like a fog abyss to get that one picture. Yeah, who's taking um, those photos? <laughs> who's taking those photos? Solo travel tip number one: be really careful who you hand your phone to because <laughs> strangers will let you down. Yes. <laughs> They'll also run away sometimes with it. You know, you never know. Sometimes. But I think I have enough crazy eyes that I think people don't people know. <laughs> like, don't run away with this person's phone. You're, you're in more of a peril of, like, actually getting that perfect moment and somebody only getting a picture of your feet while it's happening, you know? Yeah. Um, or you'd so be like my mom and put her finger over every shot. Yes. Oh, my God. Somebody did that to me for the hot air balloon thing in the hot air balloon basket. And I've been wanting to post a picture from the hot air balloon basket. But the only ones I have have it's thumb all over it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah, every time. <laughs> oh. But I didn't have a choice because that basket was crowded. Otherwise, yeah. I would have used the tripod. All right. <laughs> uh, well, thanks a lot, Jen. This, was, this has been great. And uh, look forward to seeing you on the road. Thank you so much, Mike. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. 